Those of you who are in the auditorium, welcome. We are glad you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us. Those of you joining us us online, glad you're here as well. Now, we are spending, we've been spending quite a bit of time uh, talking about this 242 focus, trying to take a look at those very first Jesus followers and the things that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And for the past several weeks, we have especially been taking a look at this idea of those first Jesus followers devoting themselves to prayer. And if I were to ask this group, this this people in this congregation here, and those of you online, if I were to ask you this question, not necessarily the people that, that we might know, you know, the people on the street, but if I were to ask you, do you pray? I think all of us would say, yes, we pray. If I were to ask you, are you devoted to prayer? We might hesitate a little bit because we might feel a little bit inconsistent or a little bit inadequate, but... I think we recognize the power of prayer, the importance of prayer. And I think we would probably all agree, yes, we're devoted to prayer. And if I were to ask you, would you like to have the same kind of prayer life and the same kind of prayer experience that Jesus uh, enjoyed? I think we would all say, absolutely. Yes, I would love to have that. And then if I were to ask, do you pray like Jesus taught us to pray? Hmm. Well, I memorized that prayer when I was a, you know, a small child, and I know the words to that prayer, but over the years, I've kind of come up with my own method. I've kind of come up with my own formula, my own process, my own recipe, and yet Jesus himself taught, when you pray, pray like this. So we've spent a couple weeks talking about that prayer that Jesus prayed. And this morning we come to the point of that prayer where Jesus prays, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And since I'm asking questions, I'll just ask who or what leads us into temptation? Or or is it us that lead ourselves into temptation? You know, the old saying... Lead us not into temptation, I can find it myself. Pretty accurate most of the time. But who or what leads us into temptation? And if you know much about Jesus at all, you'll know that several times in Scripture, Jesus offered a very open yet very specific invitation. And it was an invitation that consisted of only two words. Follow me. Jesus' invitation is, follow me, or to put it another way, allow me to lead you. Follow me. Now, if someone were to come to you and say, follow me, your natural response would be, where? (laughs) You know, where are we going? If I'm going to follow you, where are we going? But as best as we can tell, nobody ever asked Jesus that. Because it seemed like this very first century group that Jesus offered this invitation to, it seems like they understood that it wasn't so much about a where, but a how. That Jesus was talking about a way to, to orient our lives. He's talking about a kingdom way of living. Not so much about, you know, um, what's going on, but 
What am I doing? Jesus is very clear about this. In fact, sometimes it seems he's almost too clear. Because by the time you get to the end of his life, there's not a whole lot of people who are still following him. But Jesus never changed the invitation. I want you to follow me. Then after the resurrection, some um, unfollowers started following again. And after the resurrection, some sort of followers became sold out followers because when you see somebody die on a cross and his body's put into a tomb for three days and he comes back to life, you tend to pay attention to what he says then. And there were a lot of people who paid attention to what Jesus said. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and those first group of Jesus' followers began to grow. In fact, Scripture says they they literally turned the world upside down. They took Jesus very seriously when he said, follow me. Now, where Jesus never altered that invitation to follow me, the church has done a pretty good job of watering that down. We we have sort of changed that that, that invitation, which, which is understandable, because that invitation to follow Jesus, that comes with some strings attached. If I'm going to follow Jesus, that means there's going to be some things I'm going to have to do. And there's going to be some things that I'm not going to do. If if I'm going to say yes to Jesus, that means I'm going to have to say no to some other things. And I'm going to have to say no to myself. So over the years, we've sort of tweaked that invitation just a little bit. We've made it a little bit more agreeable to us. And we've changed Jesus' invitation from follow me to just believe in me. Which demands a lot less. And it's a lot easier to just believe in Jesus than to actually follow him. No, when you think about it, believing doesn't really cost me anything at all. So it's no surprise that the most popular verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We know that verse. Everybody knows that verse. If you only know one verse, you know that verse. We love this verse. I love this verse. You know, I love this verse. And it might not come as too big a surprise that one of the most unpopular verses in Scripture was also spoken by Jesus, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must say no to himself deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'm going to guess you've never seen Matthew 16, 24 on a bumper sticker. Nobody at football games holding up signs going, Matthew 16, 24. Nobody gets that tattooed on their body somewhere. Now, unfortunately, the message of Jesus has been reduced. Well, just believe in me. And while you're at it, try to behave yourself just pretty much where so many Christians kind of leave it. That's my Christian life. I'm going to believe in Jesus and I'm going to be a good neighbor. Don't expect too much more from me. But let's not kid ourselves. Just because you're a believer doesn't necessarily mean you're a follower. You can be a believer. You can be a consumer. You don't doesn't necessarily mean that you're following Jesus. 
And by the way, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will never pray the way Jesus instructs us to pray. Which brings us back to that prayer. Remember these disciples that grew up praying their entire lives. They came to the conclusion, our prayers haven't exactly grown up with us. And these men who have been praying their entire lives, they watch Jesus pray, and they realize if He's doing it right, (laughs) then obviously we're doing it wrong, because we don't pray like that. So Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? You know, I began this series by saying that probably no one has attempted to teach you how to pray since the age of 8 or 10. In fact, if someone came to you and said, let me teach you how to pray. I heard you pray and I I think you need some teaching. We would probably be offended by that. But as we've been seeing going through this prayer that Jesus prays, Jesus was a little bit offensive as well. Because it stands his prayer in, in contrast to our assumptions about prayer. When to pray, how to pray, to a certain extent, even where to pray. But again, I'm not going to be the one to argue with the teachings of Jesus. So he says, when you pray, and he tells us some things to do, and he tells us some things not to do. Don't stand up and just be seen by people. Don't try to impress other people because you're not impressing God. Find a place where you can be just you and God. Find a place where you can be isolated from all the distractions that are around you. Don't keep using the same words over and over again and think that's going to make a difference. Don't try to do it to to, to be flowery and impressive because... God already knows what you want before you ask Him. He already knows what you need before you ask Him, which makes us say, wait a minute, then why should I ask Him? You know, if God already knows what I need before I pray, why should I pray? To which Jesus would say, exactly. Yes, that's the question I want you to be asking. Exactly. His disciples, they want to know how to pray. Jesus is trying to teach them and us why we pray. And why should we pray if God already knows everything we need before we ask? According to Jesus, the purpose of prayer is not for us to inform God of anything. It's not to to bring God to the knowledge of what He needs to know. The purpose of prayer is for us to surrender our will to align our will, to be on the same page with our Heavenly Father and what His will is, to surrender that will, not impose it, which should come as no surprise because we're called to be Jesus followers, not Jesus convincers, not Jesus users. Last week, we looked at that part of the prayer where where Jesus talked about the things that we, we pray for that that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. And I mentioned that's not a very American prayer because not too many of us worry about where our next meal is coming from. But in our culture of excess, in our culture of entitlement, Jesus wants to be sure that we acknowledge that we are dependent on our Heavenly Father every single day. That we desperately are dependent on God. We looked at that passage in Proverbs. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Just give me this day my daily bread. 
And then we talked about those things that we really need. To pray for those things that we really need. Forgive us our debts. What we really need is forgiveness. But that is a prayer request that comes with a catch. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive me in the same way, to the same extent, that I am willing to forgive someone who has hurt me. We talked about that. Otherwise, I'll just be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And then we put off till today, the part of Jesus' prayer instructs us how to pray for what we want. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We all want protection. We all want to feel safe. We all want to be safe. I'll personalize it. Lead me not into temptation. Here's my next question. It's a question only you can answer. Do you pray that prayer? Lead me not into temptation. Now, we pray for all kinds of things. We pray for parking spots. We pray that our kids make good grades in school. We pray when we travel. But do you ask God for this? Lead me not into temptation. In fact, can you pray that in good conscience? In good conscience, can you pray, lead me not into temptation? And what I mean by asking that is, can you pray that prayer, lead me not into temptation, when you are in the process of leading yourself into temptation? When you're in the process of putting yourself in a position where, okay, this is probably not the best idea. This might not be where God wants me to be. There's some red flags in my decision here, but I'm going there anyway, and then I'm going to pray to God to lead me not into temptation. Now the answer is, yes, I could do that, but that would make me that thing we don't want to be, that thing we're aware of, you know, that would make me, let's say it all together, that would make me a hypocrite. Yeah. Now I don't want to be a hypocrite. Now, Here's something that maybe you haven't thought of, or maybe you can't wait to tell me in the lobby, but Jesus was led into temptation. Jesus was led into temptation, which means he knows what he's talking about when he instructs us here. He's been there. He's done that. He's familiar with what that's like. Chris reminded us today in his his comments before the Lord's Supper of the Hebrew writer writing in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, talking about just how intense Jesus' temptation was. For we do not have a high priest. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And Chris was right. That is an amazing statement. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. You know, I hear people all the time saying things, you have too probably, you know, it's so much harder today. Oh, it's so much harder. There's so much more evil in the world today than ever before. It is so much more accessible. It is so much more difficult to live a godly life today than it was a hundred years ago. No, it's not. And the reason I know it's not, because 
The Hebrew writer says Jesus was tempted in every way just like I am. But he was without sin. And the promise of Hebrews 4 is because of that, because we have a high priest who was tempted just like we are, and because he doesn't sin, never sinned, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, in our time of trouble, in our time of temptation. Which brings me to another question. This is an easy one, by the way. You want mercy and grace? Anybody here say, yeah, I'll take mercy and grace? Yeah, we all want that, right? Do you actually want to be led into something that's not temptation? Or do you play this game? Well, I'm going to go ahead and sin, but then I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. Because I know I serve a forgiving God, so I'm going to go ahead and sin, and then I'll ask for forgiveness. I'm going to sin, I'll ask to be forgiven. I'm going to sin because, well, because I want to, and because it's tempting, but then I'm going to ask God to forgive me of my sin, which is a really insidious game to play. If you were in uh, Paul Lickman's class uh, last Sunday, Paul did a great job of talking about this and exposing this kind of misguided strategy This is a strategy that assumes the very worst about God. This is a strategy that assumes that God is so clueless and that God is so gullible and that God can be so easily manipulated that I'll do whatever I want to do and then ask God to to forgive me. And as I mentioned, that kind of is making my heavenly father and just turning him into this just... Cosmic Mr. Clean. You know, just show up in your white suit and clean up the mess. Because I want to feel clean. And I want to feel good about myself. But I want to live right here in temptation as well. So, clean up the mess. But don't go too far away. Keep the bucket and mop handy. Because I plan on making some more messes pretty quickly. Just so you know. That God does not exist. There's nothing holy, nothing hallowed about that God. A God that is so easily manipulated. That God is not worth worshiping. That God is not worth surrendering to. Certainly not worth praying to. That is a God that we have created ourselves. We have devised that God just to make us feel better about our own attitude towards sin. Come on, you know this. God does not wink at sin. It's what sent Jesus to the cross. You know how seriously God takes sin. And it's Jesus who said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. Do not lead us. Do not lead me into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. And which gets us right back to this idea of surrender. This prayer that Jesus prayed, we call it the Lord's Prayer, it just keeps circling back over and over again to this concept of surrender. You can't be planning sin and then asking God to lead us not into temptation. 
I can't be planning to live life the way I want to live life and then asking God not to lead me into temptation. Again, I could, but it would make me a giant, say it with me, hypocrite, right? And haven't we agreed that we don't want to be a hypocrite? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That word deliver literally means rescue from danger. And I think one of the reasons that we lead ourselves into temptation is because we're convinced it's not that dangerous. It's just not that dangerous. But of course, Jesus would disagree. You know, think about it. We, we lead ourselves into temptation and willingly put ourselves in situations where we know we're going to be tempted. And then we pray to God, lead me not into temptation. Or worse, I blame God for when I give in to the temptation that I, that I put myself into. Which brings me back to the question that we sort of started with, what leads you into temptation? Who leads you into temptation? Why do you lead yourself into temptation? Why do you lead yourself to the doorstep of regret? Why do you put yourself there? Sometimes the same regret over and over again because, let's face it, quite often it's the same temptation over and over again. Brings us back to surrender. When you pray the prayer that Jesus instructs here, when you pray that, not my will, but your will be done prayer, you start living your life focused more on how can I please God and not so much how can I please myself. Why? Because I'm a Jesus follower. Because there's so much more to life than just me. Following Jesus, that's the invitation. Surrendering to Jesus, that's the alternative to being led into temptation. If I follow Jesus, I'm not being led into temptation. And again, you know, Jesus' invitation goes far beyond believe in me. Is it important to believe in Jesus? Of course it is. Don't not put words in my mouth this morning. Of course it's important to believe in Jesus. But I think we've made belief into just a doctrine. Just some system. And Jesus says, I want your life to be a lifestyle. I want you to follow me. Not in just the things that you say. Not in just what you believe. But in what you do. I want you to to do better. I want you to be better. And any faith that doesn't challenge us to do better and to be better is a counterfeit faith. James, the brother of Jesus, is so clear on this when he writes his book. James says, listen, if you have a faith that's not causing you to do something, James says, this is his word, it's a useless faith. It's useless. A faith that doesn't do anybody any good, isn't any good. That's what James says. Jesus agrees with him, by the way, or James agrees with his brother Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, this is Jesus speaking. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into a notebook. No. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them on a plaque on your wall. No. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not post them on social media. No. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not 
put them into practice. If you hear my words and you don't put them into practice, Jesus says, you're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus' invitation is for us to follow him. Not just in our words, not just in our belief system, but in our lives. To follow him in what we do. And Jesus' promise is, I will not lead you into temptation. I promise you, if you're following me, I will not lead you into temptation. I will not lead you into danger. I will not lead you into a place where you're chasing the wind or chasing your tail. Because I love you. I'm going to lead you to a place where you can see beyond yourself. I'll lead you to a place where you can see to do for others some of the things that I've done for you. Because that's the abundant life that I came to offer. Don't be content with just being a believer. (laughs) Jesus' invitation is to, to be a follower. Follow Jesus. Okay, where? How? I mean, what does that even look like? Think about the world that we live in today, in our society. It is, it is so fractured and so frustrating. With so many people giving us so many mixed messages. What's it even look like to follow Jesus? Well, how about this? And I know I talk about it all the time. But I talk about it all the time because Jesus talked about it all the time. And I'm amazed that you know, our first century Savior could reduce life to one one relevant, unchangeable command that kind of crosses all generations and has the potential to change life. Here it is. We sang the song. Here's how Jesus said it. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's what following Jesus looks like. That's what we do when we follow Jesus. We love one another. That's what following Jesus requires. Now you think about those uh, first Jesus followers that we keep alluding back to in, in Acts. You think about how much they knew and how much they understood Now, I'm going to guess that we probably know more and understand more. We have so much more information. But here's what they did understand. They understood to ask the question, what does love require of me? I, I am following Jesus. What does love require of me? It's a great question to ask yourself. In every situation, what does love require of me? And it seemed to be enough for those first Jesus followers. I think it's still enough for us. That's where following Jesus will take us. Not just to heaven someday, although I'm looking forward to that. But following Jesus will take us to a place where we can love today. It will take us to a place where we can introduce other people to this thing that, this thing, this person that someone introduced us to. And it's not going to be a thing like, well, let me share my religion with you. You know, let me preach to you. Let me give, give you this guilt trip on why you need to hear this. No, it's just, let me introduce you to someone 
who loves you. You were created to be loved. You were created to love. We need to be telling people our Jesus story. We need to be telling people why we love Jesus. Because he loved us first. So, one last time. Can you pray with a clear conscience? Can you pray without being a hypocrite? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lead me. The assumption being, I have decided to follow Jesus. The assumption being, I have decided to surrender my will to His. Can you pray that? Can you pray what Jesus instructed us to pray? And listen, before I wrap up this lesson today and and this section of Jesus' prayer, I want to be sure that I don't give you the wrong impression regarding this uh, prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is a pattern. It's a template. Jesus never intended to be a, a formula or a mantra or a chant or some magical liturgy that we just, you know, that we speak and, and, and things happen. He taught it to us to teach us an attitude and to teach us an approach that we should adopt when we pray. It underscores the purpose of prayer as we surrender our will to God's, aligning our will with His. It underscores the necessity for us to follow God and to follow Jesus. Can we pray for other things? Absolutely. Of course we can. We should. We have to. What else would we do with our problems? It was Peter that said, cast your burdens on Him for He cares for you. Absolutely. We have been blessed and honored to be able to pray for all those cares, all those problems. You think about your deepest burden. You think about your greatest heartache. You think about that thing that you can't think of anything else right now because it's going on in your life. Scripture tells us, take it to the Father. Leave it at the feet of the Father. After you have acknowledged His right to rule. After we have acknowledged His Lordship. After we have surrendered our will to His. After we have made the decision to be followers. So, let's put this thing back together. And I did it last week, and I'm going to do it again this week. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we are going to pray this prayer together as a church family. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are actually, I am actually going to wrap up this idea of being devoted to prayer next week. I started this thing with a a prayer that Paul prayed. And then we've looked at what we call the Lord's Prayer. Next week, we're going to look at another prayer that I think is going to tie the this whole thing together. Uh, I hope you come back. I hope you're back online with us next week or here in person as well. As always, maybe there's something on your heart that you need the prayers of people who love you. Um, If you're online, there'll be a way for you to access that. There are some prayer cards in the lobby and a, uh, a box that you can drop those in and people will be praying with you and for you during the week. Or maybe there's something you just need to share with your church family. Dave's got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement. And you can meet us at the front and let us know. And we would love to do that.